Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is December the 4th, 2020, and I'm happy that you could join me. Uh, I hope you all had a terrific, <coughs> pardon me, <clears throat> once in a while Kermit the Frog uh, sets up shop in my throat, especially after dinner. So here we are. I apologize. But I hope you folks all had a wonderful Thanksgiving last week. And I decided to take last Friday off, uh, time off for perhaps bad behavior, but I'm back today. And as I say, happy to join you. There is so much going on. Normally, I focus, as you know, on immigration, going back to my background as a retired senior special agent of the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, an agency that was uh, sliced and diced and cut up into multiple pieces under the brilliance and I say this with all sarcasm intended, of George W. Bush when he created what I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender under President Trump. Uh, Many things were done that we were told could not be done, should not be done, the construction of the wall, emphasizing immigration, law enforcement, protecting jobs for Americans. Boy, you could see why Americans are so angry with Donald Trump actually looking out for Americans. I guess it's kind of like being part of an abused family where you're used to getting beat up, and when finally the beating stops, you don't know what to do. Um, I'm not going to say that Donald Trump was the perfect president, but when you look at what he did on so many issues to try to increase wages that Americans earned, and he succeeded, to reduce unemployment, which he succeeded at doing, including among America's minorities, again, another success story, tackling China and its um, goals of taking over the world, committing espionage America to, uh, against America, and not just stealing military secrets. That would be horrendous enough, but um, industrial secrets, manufacturing secrets, they want to dominate the world. But China, the idea of compromise is you will do it our way and we will do it our way with all that emphasis in their voice. So you finally have a president who says enough. And you have the media and many corporations, especially at the very top, thrilled to sell out our country to China. They're looking for short-term gold and have no ability to look down the road. Pardon me, I apologize. They have no ability to look down the road at where this lunacy is liable to lead us. China is building up its military, creating artificial islands in the South China Sea, which was illegal. They promised they wouldn't militarize them, but, of course, the China promises um, mean nothing. And, of course, they militarized those islands and then immediately threatened our ships, what we call them our trade partner. They were given most favored trade status. And and you have to ask, what are these people in in government doing? They screw over Americans routinely, and it's both political parties, and we're going to talk about something that, a member of the United States Senate did, an individual by the name of Mike Lee. Uh, Folks, you need to get on this guy. You need to call him. You need to email him. You need to snail mail him. He needs to get no uh, peace and quiet, at least in terms of reaching out to his office and let him know that you're, you're upset. Because what he has done is put forward legislation in the Senate to virtually um, to bring in virtually an unlimited number of H-1B visa high-tech workers. And we'll talk more about that and the tactics that he used and the tactics of the Democrats, because both parties, there's a lot of collusion. You give those bums an opportunity to screw Americans, and they will trip over each other. They love screwing Americans. I, I, I think they're really in heat. You know, they're, they're horny as hell and want to screw us. That's how I look at it. Uh, forgive the vulgarity, but what they're doing to us is vulgar. And it's both parties. Uh, And it's unacceptable. But they're bought and paid for because, let's face it, political campaign contributions is 
Orwellian for bribe. They take lots of money and then they have to deliver. When I look at what's going on in Georgia right now, with the amounts of money pouring in to support both sides of the aisle, scares the hell out of me is how many IOUs are attached to those big, fat, juicy <clears throat> bribes. Uh, did I say bribe? I meant to say campaign contribution. You know, I, I get so confused. I have such a problem trying to figure out whether we're talking about bribes or campaign contributions because I, I frankly don't think there's any difference. They get money by people, organizations, uh, industries that want them to do things that normally they wouldn't do and probably shouldn't do. It might even be uh, illegal to do. But, of course, in Congress, when you're a politician, you get to write the laws. So what should be illegal suddenly becomes perfectly acceptable, large and in charge. So much of our government being a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, which, by the way, sounds very much like Trump's put Americans first. No wonder they wanted Trump out of the Oval Office even before he got there. I I want you to think of President Donald Trump as the whistleblower in uh, in charge. He's the um, commander-in-chief of our armed services, and he's the whistleblower-in-chief in terms of disclosing all the corruption and pushing back on behalf of Americans. And boy, oh boy, what was he thinking? Representing Americans? Where do you think you are anyway, Mr. President? It's astonishing. It's astonishing. And, I, I, you know, when I was preparing to come on today, I don't even know where to go first. I, I very often compare trying to keep up with what's happening with standing under Niagara Falls with an eight-ounce water glass trying to catch all the water. Of course, that's a fool's errand. There's no way of doing it. But the level, the amplitude, the volume, uh, it's just off the scale. I, I, I have no idea where to begin. I could probably sit here for the next five hours and, and cover 1% of, of the issues. We've never been under this kind of a barrage before. Businesses shutting down, curfews being imposed. This is martial law as far as I'm concerned. You know, you want to be reasonable and you say, okay, the elderly, people with diseases, they should stay home. I've pretty much been staying home. I'm on the wrong side of 70, and so I'm being careful. I, I do get out for an occasional drive. We run a quick errand, but mostly the food that we eat, you know, my wife and I is delivered to us. We, we try to get everything brought to us so we don't go into the stores. I haven't been in a supermarket since COVID. We're being careful. That makes sense if you can do that. Absolutely. But for people not within a high-risk group, that's a different story. And the politicians have imposed such draconian rules in places like New York and California, Chicago. And I think the worst part of it, folks, is the hypocrisy. First of all, let's consider this nonsense about follow the science. There's a doctor who was on at Fox News earlier today. Uh, and Forgive me. Um, I, I know she's a very attractive young lady, but I can't think of her name. But she said something that I've been saying. If you look at COVID, you could probably find some scientific research that supports anything you want to do. Science isn't monolithic. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. When you go to the doctor with a serious medical condition, generally you are well advised to get a second opinion. Roughly 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Uh, thank God I had two wonderful doctors. My, my doctor that took care of me since I was a teenager, tragically, he died a few years after. Um, he helped to make sure that I was treated for prostate cancer because he noticed my PSA had gone up. Uh, he died of lung cancer, in fact. But he took great care of me. I had a wonderful surgeon take care of me. In fact, my surgeon was one of the doctors who devised the PSA test. He's the head of surgery, urological surgery at a major hospital, uh, chairman, or he was a chairman of of, um, uh, urological surgery at Columbia School for Surgeons. So this guy was no lightweight. And he came highly recommended by a colleague, another doctor at the hospital, said, this is the guy you go to. Don't let anyone else look at you. This is the man you want. And initially, I was told that I had a precancerous condition. They told, he told me to come back uh, in 90 days. He said, not 91 days, 90 days. <clears throat> Do not mess around with this because this could become very serious. Well, 90 days later, I got that diagnosis that nobody wants. It was cancer. 
But the first thing he said to me is, Mr. Cutler, before you decide on whether or not you want me to do the surgery, I'm going to tell you right now, I want you to go and get at least a second, if not a third opinion. Now, this guy was at the top of the game, the best of the best. And he himself said to me, I am not going to agree to do your surgery until you see at least one more doctor, which I did. Now, why is that? Because you always want to be careful. And doctors do have differing viewpoints. And scientists have differing viewpoints. And physicists have different theories. It's called the Big Bang Theory, not the Big Bang Fact, for a reason. We have lots of theories, but little certainty in science. And the more we learn, the more we know what we don't know. That's why Voltaire very wisely said that you judge a person's intelligence by the questions they ask. When um, Schiaparelli first looked at Mars and thought he saw canals, he was an Italian astronomer, um, we had no idea what we were dealing with. We knew that was another planet. We knew that was a world up there. But what we knew was very little. And then eventually, when we sent spacecraft, the first photos that we got of Mars were very grainy. It showed craters. So now the question is, well, what's in the atmosphere? What's the temperature? What's the weather like? How much radiation? So once we got those answers, our scientists devised more questions and sent ever more sophisticated space probes and robots to Mars. Same thing when we sent probes out of the solar system. The biggest return that we've gotten from all of those probes, Voyager and New Horizons and the Mars Explorers and all these others, what we've gotten from it is the next set of questions. The more information, the more defined your questions are. The more you think to ask as you learn more. You see, that's how it works. Science isn't an end product. Here's the science, read it, go back to sleep. It doesn't work that way. Science is the never-ending quest for knowledge and understanding. So we're always working at it. We as a species, I don't mean you and I necessarily, but our scientists, whether it's the astronomers, the physicists, the biochemists, all of the sciences is is a work in progress. And we find that the more we know, the less we know. So we dig deeper. Einstein compared himself. Brilliant Einstein, a giant among giants, said that he felt as though he was a child playing with seashells and pebbles at the water's edge while the vast ocean of knowledge lay out there before him. So he recognized his own limitations, his own frustrations. On his deathbed, he was still trying to figure out the grand unification theory between standard physics and quantum physics. hasn't been resolved yet. Why? It's a work in progress. Computers that we buy are always faster and faster and faster. Why? Well, that's Moore's law. The the ability of the computers doubles every 12 to 18 months. We keep working at it. So when people say to you, follow the science, what science? And Fauci's been bouncing back and forth like a droplet of water on on a hot griddle. Wear masks, don't wear masks. Social distance, don't social distance. Keep the schools open, keep the schools closed. Who the hell knows? Back and forth. Show me 10 experts and they'll show you 11 opinions. That's where we are. But there are common sense things we can do that certainly aren't harmful. Washing your hands carefully with with good antiseptic soap, that's not a problem and it's a no-brainer with everything going on. Staying away from people, that's a no-brainer. If you're particularly vulnerable, stay home. That's not a problem. Understand what we're saying. But closing down schools and then they come up with this idiotic curfew? Do you really think that the COVID virus is wearing a little tiny wristwatch and it waits for the alarm to go off at 10 p.m. so it can go out there and start attacking? They have a countdown? Is, is it, we're, we're getting to 10 o'clock. Get ready to attack. Ten, nine, eight, yes, attack. You think the viruses are doing that? Of course they are. This is madness. Why then is there a curfew? Because narcissist politicians want to be able to prove to you that they can control you. Maybe these were the kids that when their friends wanted to go play hide and seek, when they would hide, their friends would go to the movies. Maybe they couldn't attract anyone's attention. Maybe they had terrible parents who mistreated them. So now they're taking it out on the world. They're taking it out on the ultimate authority figure, our our country. Even though they're part of the government, 
They hate the government. They hate our country. There's such a thing as self-hating Americans. I look at a guy like Bernie Sanders. He's Jewish, and, and he has anti-Semites involved with him. I, I mean, really and truly, there are wacky people that seek political office for all the wrong reasons. They want to be large and in charge. They want people to listen to them. Not because they're brilliant, not because they're decent, but because they're in power. They're in power, and they're drunk. You know, I, I once wrote a piece that some of these politicians are governing under the influence, like driving under the influence of drugs or booze. They are governing under the influence of money and power, and they're dangerous. So these, these narcissist chimps and chumps that they are come out there and they say, okay, at 10 o'clock, you've got to close your restaurant. Why 10 o'clock? Because they said so. It's outrageous. Businesses are going under. People are losing their homes. Families are losing businesses that were started by their grandparents. This is a tragedy on every level of, of, of society. But don't worry, because if you can't go to the mom and pop store, there's always Amazon waiting in the wings to take your money. And boy, are they doing great. They treat their employees like crap. But boy, oh boy, they're rolling in the bucks, billions and billions of dollars. Why? Because they've eliminated the competition by seizing the opportunity with COVID. And I wouldn't doubt that there's an element of this going on. Let's be blunt about this. COVID has given politicians the ideal justification to stomp on us, to take away all of our expectations of freedom as Americans. Now, some of it is justified. I agree. But think about what Donald Trump said. We're not going to let people come to the United States from China because there's an outbreak of a dangerous virus. The Democrats started screaming, xenophobe, hater, racist, bigot. And then they complained they didn't do enough fast enough. I mean, think about the madness. And most people are too stupid to say, wait a minute. Trump was the guy who in Mar- January uh, this year, January 31st, stopped the entry of people from China. And a couple of weeks later, as we realized that the virus was highly uh, prevalent in places like Italy, because they have a huge uh, population of, of Chinese workers, it's not just America that runs sweatshops, you know. <clears throat> so then we, we stopped the entry of people from Italy, again, to try to use our border as a barrier to the disease. Now, you can't stop diseases entirely by, coming, by, by stopping travel, but you try. Ellis Island was a quarantine station. But here's something that's now happening. Mexico is overwhelmed by the COVID virus, and guess what's happening? Mexicans are coming into the United States to be treated, overwhelming hospitals in places like El Paso, Texas, right across from Ciudad Juarez. Why is that? Well, Mexico can't deal with these people. Are they going to die? No. They go to America because they know that in America you walk into an emergency room, you have to be treated whether or not you have... Um, the financial wherewithal to pay for your treatment. So, so these are the issues that we're dealing with, and you have Joe Biden standing in the wings, and, and I'm certainly not convinced that this was a legitimate election. When you look at all the evidence out there and you look at all of the stuff in the media, understand that the media has been anti-Trump since the day before he was elected. Again, he's the whistleblower. He was the outsider that said we're going to secure the borders, and he will be looking at all the stuff with a fresh view and he isn't beholden to the contributors the way that the other politicians are. You know, what do you give the man who's got everything besides penicillin? Trump is kind of that guy who has everything. So that made him dangerous. He's an outsider, didn't need their money, talked about securing the borders, talked about stopping China from doing what they've been doing to us. Do you wonder why he's got so many people agitated? So what do they do? The media selectively... Uh, informs the public. And and I would submit, folks, that what the news media did in not reporting, for example, on the allegations against Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and the laptop constituted election meddling. Now, why do I say that? Because when you go to vote, you go in with the idea about the information that you've gained about the candidates, and then you make an informed decision as to which of the two candidates you like better or or dislike less, you know, whatever. Many people who voted for Biden said that they knew nothing about Hunter, and they said that had they known about Hunter, they wouldn't have voted for Biden because they think China's a big deal. 
But by not covering the Hunter Biden story, American people were misled. That interfered with the decision-making that they engaged in in voting for president. So if the news media provides propaganda and not news, then what they're doing is tampering with the election, meddling in the elections, becoming a propaganda arm for one party over the other party. Now, people say to me, well, why are you a Democrat, not a Republican? Well, I registered as a Democrat when Democrats were like JFK and, and, and you know, they, they believed in national security and they believed in protecting American workers and their jobs and wages. <clears throat> My dad was blue collar. He was a tradesman. And by the way, I will take tradesmen over most white collar jobs. Uh, I mean, think about bankers, you know. They will try to convince you that three-card Monty is a product. <laughs> think about it. Um, as Bob Hope said, bankers are no one's friend. They lend you money, but only after you could prove you didn't need it in the first place. Blue-collar workers, like my dad, he was a construction worker. He was a plumber, but he didn't do the repair work. He was the guy that worked on Kennedy Airport. He worked on the New York World's Fair. I got to go with him and saw the World's Fair take shape before my very eyes. It was magical. I got to ride on the Swiss Sky Ride before the um, World's Fair was open. I, took, I was one of the first people to do a test run in it. Very exciting stuff. But these blue-collar workers, they're honest hard-working, conscientious, or they lose their job. There's no swindle. There's no nonsense. There's no lying. You know, you, you, you deal with most businesses, and, you know, you, you shake the guy's hand, and then you walk out, you, you check to make sure you still have five fingers. Tradesmen are highly skilled, highly intelligent, and they're courageous. No job is too dangerous. No job is too backbreaking. No job is too filthy. If it's cold, if it's hot, it doesn't matter. They're out there working because they need that paycheck. They need to support their families. They do the most honest work you could possibly do in a society, and they are the backbone of our society. Without the construction workers, doctors would be practicing medicine in the middle of a field, and they'd have no instruments because those are built by blue-collar workers on the assembly line. Try to practice medicine under a tree with just your hands. Lots of luck on that one. But yet somehow in our society, if you get dirt under your fingernails when you go home at night, you're looked down upon. We got our values all screwed up, I have to tell you, because my pop was my biggest hero. He always will be next to my mother, who came here as a 13-year-old and supported herself in a strange country where she didn't even speak the language. And she lived in a rooming house and, and worked at a sweatshop making umbrellas for $3 a week. These are heroic people with principle with a backbone, with, with courage. And then I look at the lunacy that we're witnessing today and people that can't even focus long enough to read past a headline or ask the appropriate questions. Joe Biden wants to legalize every illegal alien in the United States. He's throwing around the number 11 million. It's probably going to be 25 or 30 million. But nobody wants to talk about the fact that they would then, these aliens would then have an absolute right to bring in all their minor children and their spouses so if there's 25 million illegal aliens, and I know I'm repeating myself, but it bears repeating, if there's 25 million illegal aliens, and if Joe Biden is confirmed as president, and if he gets away with his legalization program, and that's why I would hope this, the, the, the Republicans would block him, but you never know, because they want comprehensive reform also. They started this open borders crap. So if they do this, Ladies and gentlemen, we could be looking at an influx of over 100 million minor aliens. Think about that. 25 million get green cards or the equivalent. They could immediately bring in all their children. If on average they have four kids each, it may be much higher. I'm being an optimist. Four times 25 million is 100 million, and then we've got their spouses and so forth. How could America survive an onslaught of the admission of perhaps more than 100 million young immigrants they would immediately be enrolled in school they need more than a pillow to sleep on they need water they need food they need electricity they need housing they need transportation <clears throat> they need sewerage inflation goes up as more people need food and clothing and shelter it would wreck the economy it would wreck national security there's no capacity to interview 25 million people 
There's no capacity to interview a million people. There were no interviews with DACA, pretty much. If there were, there were spot checks. Lots of luck. We're approaching December 7th. December 7th, 1941, we lost around 3,000 people because of the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor. On 9-11, we lost more than that because of 19 hijacker terrorists uh, in the 9-11 attacks, and the death count continues. So you don't have to get too many of those applications for lawful status wrong before we pay one hell of a price. It's called asymmetrical warfare. That's what terrorism is. Relatively few people can inflict huge casualties. They get behind enemy lines. You know, it's not like in the war movies that we used to see, or we still see them occasionally. You know, some DC-3 is bumping around in the night, you know, and, and the soldiers are there and, and, and with their whole with their gear and their rifles, and they've, they've smeared grease paint on their face to make their faces darker and to conceal themselves, and, and they bail out, and they, they, they jump into the night. Today, many of our enemies are still coming by airplanes, but they're not skydiving. They don't parachute out. They're not carrying rifles. They're sitting in coach or maybe even first class on an airliner that lands at one of America's many international airports, and then they disappear into our communities, and they wait for the day that they get a tap on the shoulder or a phone call or an email or some other communique that calls them to action. And even if they don't carry out attacks, um, you know, there was only three Apollo astronauts per flight that went to the moon while there were tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of scientists, engineers, and technicians who stood behind them. A, a big army of people with just a few people in that capsule. Similarly, many terrorists will never pick up a gun. Many terrorists will never detonate a bomb. Many terrorists will never stab or shoot somebody. But they will do other things to support the terror mission, uh, raising money doing surveillance, providing a bed for a stranger who comes to the United States and needs some place to hide out while he or she goes about the deadly business of preparing the next attack. So many are coming through international airports with visas. Many of them, or some of them may be running our borders or stowing away on ships. There's no shortage of ways of gaining entry into the United States, and that's why the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, said, you know, interior enforcement is critical. And what do we have in America? Sanctuary cities that harbor and shield illegal aliens who came here illegally for God knows what reason. And somehow we're supposed to be happy, just like we're supposed to be happy that rapists and murderers and gangbangers and drug dealers are being turned loose because of COVID. We'll turn them loose. We don't want them to get sick. No, better they should go out there and kill and rape. Are you crazy? We've lost our mind as a country. And then you've got to call into question the validity of the election process, because this is a republic. And what that means is we don't do majority rule. You know, you don't get a phone call and some guy in Washington saying, we, we want to uh, go to the moon. Do you vote yes or no? That would be a direct democracy. We don't do that. We have elected representatives who vote on those measures on our behalf, 435 members in the House of Representatives and 100 senators. And if the Democrats get their way, there'll be 104 senators, two more from Washington, D.C., and two more from Puerto Rico. And it's all about the political equation, not about are we really representing Americans and providing good, decent governance. No, this has nothing to do with governance. This has to do with the shaft. And it's about bringing in foreign workers, about destroying the American economy. And I wrote a piece not long ago where I said that for Democrats to succeed, and remember, I'm registered as a Democrat, but these folks are Democrats. But for the Democrats to succeed, Americans must fail. It is so short-sighted that Americans will say, well, you know, the Democrats are bringing in foreign voters, and that's why they want it. Yeah, that's part of it. <clears throat> but if you can drive down wages, now in Greenspan, was crystal clear. He said, if you could open up the H-1B visa program, then you could greatly reduce wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. How? By flooding America with foreign workers who are willing to accept much lower pay with less in the way of benefits. That's what we're witnessing. This is about saving corporations tons of money. How do they do that? Firing Americans and bringing in third world workers. And this bill that was just voted on in the Senate by a voice vote 
would do just that. And the House already did this. And I, wrote, and I wrote about the House bill. The House of Representatives passed three bills last year that were terrible for immigration, and one of them was this uh, Fairness for Immigrant Workers Act, I believe is the name of it. Whatever happened to the Fairness for American Workers Act? Well, now the Senate has voted yes to, to that bill. And now it's going to go to a conference committee to iron out the differences, and then it's going to go to President Trump. We've got to contact the White House and say, Mr. President, if you vote for this bill, it is a repudiation of everything that you have done. This would show that everything you've done up until now was a sham. Because if we're going to have basically an unlimited number of foreign high-tech workers come to America, it's over. And part of the reason you have people out in the streets rioting, now the riots have calmed down, the, the lunatics are waiting to see what happens. I assure you if the court decides in, in favor of President Trump, the crazies will come out of the woodwork again. And the Democrats don't care how many people get killed or how many buildings burn down or how many children are raped or children get shot. You know, Black Lives Matter, the bullets fly, children are gunned down. Where's the demonstrations over the deaths of these kids that are being killed in these tough neighborhoods? Nobody cares. Nobody gives a rat's tail. It's just a way of gaining political power and lots of money from companies that are being shaken down and whose CEOs are cowards and they don't have the guts to stand up and say, no, this is a mistake. Every life matters. Every life matters. And I spent many years on the street enforcing our laws, and every time I took a bad guy off the street, I was thrilled because I felt that maybe we prevented some people from getting attacked, injured, or killed. And I can tell you, there was a time, uh, one specific case stands out, but I, I've been involved in the arrests of thousands. But there was a, a group, and by the way, the House just voted to, to decriminalize marijuana, a brilliant move. We have a problem with the drug epidemic. How, how much better can we do than legalize drugs? Um, we've lost our minds. We've lost our moral compass. I don't know what America stands for anymore. But there was this group from Jamaica, and they were very violent. They were heavily armed, and they were selling drugs even to junior high school kids going to school. They had an apartment on the ground floor of this apartment house, and when you went in, it was right in the corner of the, of the building, there was a, they took the lock out of the door so there's a hole. So the kid would go in and shove a $5 bag, a bill in, and a little nickel bag of pot would come out the same hole. And the parents were upset. They didn't know how to deal with it. The precinct was overwhelmed, the police precinct, so we took this thing down. We arrested seven or eight Jamaican criminals. They had extensive rap sheets, both in the United States and in Jamaica, and as we were gathering them up and, and, and seizing evidence and doing what we had to do, I looked out the window, and a mob of residents of that community were starting to assemble. And it was a hot summer morning. We, we had hit the apartment about 8 o'clock in the morning. It's now about 9.30. And it was a mob scene outside the house. And I turned to my partner. In fact, my, my friend Peter Mentis, who recently passed away, uh, he, had a, he had brain cancer. It's believed that because he had served in, in the military in Vietnam, that Agent Orange was responsible for this. But, but poor old Pete was with me that day, along with a few other agents, and, and he tapped me on the shoulder, or I tapped him on the shoulder. I forget now, it was so many years ago. But the point was, we looked out the window, and there were hundreds of people. And they were, you know, and we could hear the, the voices. The windows were open. They were speaking with a West Indian accent. And I thought, oh, boy, we're going to have one hell of a time trying to get to the car with our prisoners. But we figured, well, let's, let's give it the old college try. So we cuffed them up, and we headed out to the cars. And the, the crowd of hundreds erupted in applause, in applause and whistles. And they ran up to us, and they patted us on the back, and they, and they thanked us. And this one woman... This big, heavy-set lady from Jamaica gave me a kiss on the cheek, and she said to me, thank you so much for taking these dangerous people out of our community. They are a plague, and we were afraid to send our kids to school because of what was going on in that house. We don't know how to thank you. That was the work we were doing. 
And the people that benefited were the members of the immigrant communities because these bums, the criminal aliens, live within the same ethnic communities. And I don't care what country they're from. I don't care if they're from Israel. I don't care if they're from Italy. I don't care if they're from Jamaica or Mexico or Colombia. I don't care if they come from from Ghana or, or another African country because every race, every religion, every ethnicity has the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if you're a criminal from another country, you're going to be in the same community where everyone looks like you, that helps you to hide better, and where you're familiar with the food, the language, the customs, uh, the women, whatever, that's where they're going to be. So the people greatest at risk are the members of the ethnic immigrant communities. And we're being fed this pablum, and no one challenges it. Oh, we've got to protect the immigrants. You want to protect the immigrants, get the bad guys off the street of those immigrant communities. I know I did this job for many years, made lots of arrests, took lots of guns off the street. And I'd like to believe we saved a lot of lives in those immigrant communities. Look, our country has the most generous immigration laws of any country. We admit more lawful immigrants every year. I'm not sure what the numbers are this year because of COVID, but normally we admit more than 1 million immigrants. We give them green cards. They're put on the path to citizenship. We generally naturalize something like 700,000 new citizens every year, so many that we can't even do good moral character background investigations, even though the law says we're supposed to. So when you hear this nonsense, oh, immigration agents, they're terrible, they're this, they're that, they're thugs, as Cuomo calls the ICE agents. No, they're not thugs. They're trying to protect innocent people from being hurt. They're trying to protect national security, trying to protect the jobs and wages of Americans. And so Mike Lee says, let's have a voice vote. Now, why would they want a voice vote? Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with the process, Burglars very often wear gloves on their hands. You know why burglars wear gloves? So that they don't leave their fingerprints at the scene of the crime. When you do a voice vote, it's not a vote by vote where there's a record where, you know, Congressman Schmidlap voted yay, Congressman uh, Roberts voted no. No, no, no. All it is is how many say yes, how many say no, more said yes than no, the bill passes. When you do it that way, which is what was done in the Senate, there's no record as to who voted yay and who voted nay. Thank you, Mike Lee. Part of the reason you have the rioting, as I've started to say, is that a lot of Americans now feel completely disenfranchised. They go to college. They get these degrees. Maybe they graduated with honors. They have a student loan to pay off that looks like a mortgage payment, and then they can't get the job in their chosen field of study. Why? Not because they lack the qualifications, but because we can bring in people from India who will work for much less money. How wonderful for Americans, isn't it? And, and, And so you look at all this, and you say to yourself, why in the world would we permit this to happen? Why would we permit this to happen? Is this reasonable? Is this fair? Is this something that we should be doing to our own citizens? The immigration laws are designed to protect jobs and wages for Americans. That's why prior to the Second World War, the immigration laws were enforced and administered by the Labor Department. So what happened? What happened is the politicians accepting bribes from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the American Immigration Lawyers Association and LaRaza, and Metcha, and LULAC, and the ACLU, and all these other groups, decided, the hell with the average American. I want that campaign contribution, and I have to do what they want me to do if I want their money, and what they want me to do is to let more workers in, to let more immigrants in. And so the consequence of that is Americans are losing jobs and they're suffering terrible wage suppression. And again, who tried to stop it? Donald Trump. Uh, Where did that take us? Well, you know where it took us, because suddenly these folks were very agitated about that fact. And, you know, back in um, 2009, let me me pull this up for you, because I I have to read this to you, because it's infuriating. I know I've read it before, but it bears repeating because of what just happened with with our our good friend Mike Lee and his friends in in the Congress and in the Senate. 
So on April 30th, 2009, Chuck Schumer, one of our all-time favorite congressmen, you know, the guy who said, we'll take Georgia and then we'll change America. So what, Chuck? Is that in your job description, to change our country or to represent the people that are your constituents? Apparently, we know the answer. But Schumer at the time was the chairman of the Senate Immigration Subcommittee, and they held a hearing. The title was Comprehensive Immigration Reform in 2009. Again, this was 2009. Can we do it and how? And I wrote a commentary where I said that the title of that hearing reminded me of that apocryphal law firm, Do We Cheat Them and How? But Greenspan went into this whole big deal about how wonderful it would be if we were to um, let all these foreign workers come to the United States, both illegal aliens, because they do the, the, the low-skilled jobs, and the high-tech workers on H-1B visas. How wonderful. Remember, Alan Greenspan was the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank. And I, I want to read a little bit of this to you because it's infuriating to me. It's infuriating. People say, why aren't you a Republican? It's because both parties have screwed us, and it was the Democrats who used to be the firewall against uh, unlimited immigration because they understood the damage it would do to wages and jobs for Americans. In fact, back around 2006, 2007, um, Bernie Sanders gave this great big speech where he talked about how immigration authorities needed to arrest those people who hire illegal aliens because they're taking Americans' jobs and destroying wages for Americans. And then somehow Bernie flip-flopped. Uh, was he bribed? Was he extorted? Is he being blackmailed? Did they find that uh, God knows he was doing terrible things? With, uh, I don't know what. Who knows? But somehow all of them changed their tune almost in unison. You know, when I was a kid, I saw this great science fiction movie, The Invaders from Mars. This kid has a dream that a flying saucer lands in his backyard. And then in his nightmare, all of the adults in his life, his parents, the chief of police, the school teachers, all have these little nubs implanted in the back of their head, the back of their necks to control their brains. Uh, I really want to check the back of the necks of these politicians because they flipped. I mean, yes one day, no the next day, or vice versa, however you want to you know, couch the question. <clears throat> but let me, let me begin to read a little bit of what Greenspan said because it's infuriating. Immigration to the U.S. slowed markedly with the onset of the current economic crisis. We're talking about the 2008 crash, right? But as this crisis fades, there's little doubt that the attraction of the United States to foreign workers and their families will revive. I hope by then a badly needed set of reforms to our nation's immigration laws will be put in place. Wait till you hear what he has in mind. Wow. But let's go on. There are two distinctly different policy issues that confront the Congress. The first is illegal immigration. The notion of rewarding with permanent resident status those who have broken our immigration laws does not sit well with the American people. In a recent poll, two-thirds would like to see the number of illegals decreased. How about that? But you see, if our government really represented us, they would look at that and say, okay, well, that's what we have to do. But they don't represent us, folks. There's your ironclad proof right there. It's a well-known fact, isn't it? But he goes on and says, but there is little doubt that unauthorized, that is, illegal immigration, has made a significant contribution to the growth of our economy. So is drug dealing, which is why I guess they don't want to do anything to interfere with the flow of drugs coming into the country. You see the parallel? But then he says between 2000 and 2007, for example, it accounted for more than a sixth of the increase in our total civilian labor workforce. Uh, we're talking here about illegal aliens. The illegal part of the civilian labor force diminished last year as the economy slowed, though illegal still comprised an estimated 5% of our total civilian labor force. Unauthorized immigrants serve as a flexible component of our workforce, often a safety valve when demand is pressing and among the first to be discharged when the economy falters. They shouldn't be working here. That's what means illegal, you see. I wonder what Greenspan would think about people who said, screw you, we're not going to pay taxes. He'd say, wait a minute, that's illegal. We engage in asset forfeiture when people have money that's ill-gotten. Why is that? Because it's illegal. But immigration, oh, it's okay. They're a big part of our, of our, of our economy, you see. The hypocrisy is endless. Some evidence suggests that unskilled illegal immigrants, almost all of them from Latin America, marginally suppress the wage levels of native-born Americans without a high school diploma, 
and impose significant costs on some state and local governments. We're talking huge costs on those local governments, folks. And when you marginally suppress the wage of a person who is among the working poor, they are likely to become homeless. But he doesn't care. He has a mansion in the Hamptons. So what the hey? The little people pay taxes, just like Helmsley said, right? However, the estimated wage suppression and fiscal costs, this is Greenspan now, are relatively small, and economists generally view the overall economic benefits of this workforce as significantly outweighing the costs. Really? How about that? Accordingly, I hope some temporary worker program can be crafted. The second policy issue that must be addressed by Congress is the even more compelling need to facilitate the inflow of skilled foreign workers. Now listen to this. Our primary and secondary school systems are increasingly failing to produce the skilled workers needed to utilize fully our ever more sophisticated and complex stock of intellectual and physical capital. This capital stock has been the critical input for our rising productivity and standards of living and can be expected to continue to be essential for our future prosperity. The consequence of our educational shortfall is that a highly disproportionate number of our exceptionally skilled workers are foreign-born. Two-fifths of the science PhDs in our workforce, for example, are foreign-born. Silicon Valley has a remarkably large number of foreign-born workers, and many of them got their PhDs in the United States. Where? In those schools that he alleges isn't doing the job. Most of the foreign students in the United States right now come from China. And that's how they've been able to build up their space program and their military and their industrial abilities. What a bunch of lies. Now he says, the quantity of temporary H-1B visas issued each year is far too small to meet the need, especially in the near future as the economy copes with the forthcoming retirement wave of skilled baby boomers. So at that point, they hadn't been retired yet, but we know it's coming. So instead of saying, let's make sure we have American workers to fill those jobs, he says, let's import foreign workers. Why? When I was a kid, I used to go to watch GE College Bowl. The General Electric Company had a program, College Bowl. Alan Ludden was the moderator. And it was a, a kind of like a game of jeopardy for college kids. And scholarships uh, would be given out depending on which school won the contest. Now, why did GE do it? Because when they looked at American school children, they didn't just see consumers. They saw their future employees. Today, if they want to see their future employees, they'd have to hop on an airplane and go to India. That's why. But let me continue on. Uh, Let me start with that paragraph again so we don't lose track of what we're saying. The quantity of temporary H-1B visas issued each year is far too small to meet the need, especially in the near future, as the economy copes with the forthcoming retirement wave of skilled baby boomers. As Bill Gates, the chairman of Microsoft, succinctly testified before Congress in March 2007, quote, America will find it infinitely more difficult to maintain its technological leadership if it shuts out the very people who are most able to help us compete. He added that we are, quote, driving away the world's best and brightest precisely when we need them the most. You know what we call the world's best and brightest, ladies and gentlemen? Call them Americans. Americans. It was Americans who got us to the moon. Yes, there was some Russian and some German scientists among them. But the majority of the workers who did the job were Americans of every race, every religion, men and women. If you saw hidden figures... Americans got us to the moon. Americans broke the sound barrier. General Chuck Yeager, in an airplane known as the X-1, built by Bell Aircraft, broke the sound barrier in 1957. We launched the first uh, communication satellites. We launched the first space probes to leave the solar system. Who built them? Americans. Who designed them? Americans. Who operated them? Americans. But now the world's best and brightest aren't Americans, according to who? And then he says... Our skills short, as I trust, will ultimately be resolved through reforms of our primary and secondary education systems. Sure, we're going to be engaged in teaching more propaganda and more anti-American rhetoric and, and teach little boys that they could be little girls if they want to go to the ladies' room. I mean, really? Wonderful. 
but at best that will take many years. An accelerated influx of highly skilled immigrants would bridge that gap and, moreover, carry with the two significant bonuses. Now, remember, Gates was saying that we need these workers to increase our wealth, our prosperity. I want to know who the word our reply, uh, applies to. Because realize this is all about driving down wages. So he will experience greater prosperity. Gates will experience greater prosperity. Zuckerberg and all the others in Silicon Valley, they will literally and figuratively make out like bandits. But the hapless American, no, we're going to grind their paycheck into the ground. Here's, here's the proof of what I'm saying to you. Here's the two benefits that he claims we would gain by opening the door to the H-1B visas. First, skilled workers and their families form new households. They will, of necessity, move into vacant housing units, the current glut of which is the pricing prices of American homes. Great. And, of course, house price declines are a major factor in mortgage foreclosures and the plunging value of the vast quantity of U.S. mortgage-backed securities that has contributed substantially to the disabling of our banking system. The second bonus, this one's the killer, would address the increasing concentration of income in this country, meaning what, too many people are making too much money? Exactly, because he says this, greatly expanding our quotas for the highly skilled would lower the wage premiums of the skilled over the lesser skilled. In other words, we end wage inequality by destroying the middle class. And then he says, greatly expanding our quotas for the highly skilled would lower the wage premiums of the skilled over the lesser skilled. Skill shortages in America exist, because we are shielding our skilled labor force from world competition. Quotas have been substituted for the wage pricing mechanism. In the process, we have created a privileged elite. Wow, what a way to describe middle-class high-tech workers. Privileged elite. Where does he come off? We've created a privileged elite whose incomes are being supported at non-competitively high levels by immigration quotas on skilled professionals, eliminating such restrictions would reduce at least some of our income inequality, really. So the solution to wage inequality is to kill the middle class. Brilliant. Brilliant. And along comes Mike Lee, and he wants to carry the water for Bill Gates, and so do the Democrats. So they're tripping over each other to pass this bill. And again, I tell you, if President Trump doesn't veto the bill, that everything he claims he wanted to accomplish has just gone out the window. Because just a month ago, the president, uh, through executive action, uh, changed the requirements on the H-1B visa so that more money would have to be paid. Uh, this would reverse the trend. Now, um, you know, we keep hearing about everything is in terms of black and white, that more blacks are suffering from corona than whites. And this is because we are living in a racist society. And I wondered about this. And I said, you know, genetics play a role in disease. Um, European Jews, for example, suffer from a terrible disease that's often fatal to babies called Tay-Sachs. In fact, when, when uh, women from that part of the world have children, they are well advised to take a test to make certain that the child doesn't have that issue. And blacks suffer from sickle cell anemia. almost never occurs in whites. Why is that? It's a genetic-linked disease. And I wondered among some people, could it be that for some genetic reason, certain people of certain genetic composition do better or worse with COVID? Well, interesting article just got published. This is on ZDNet. MIT machine learning models find gaps in coverage by Moderna, Pfizer, and other warp-speed COVID-19 vaccines. Vaccine makers need to take into account genetic diversity explicitly in clinical trials or risk-missing coverage for some individuals, says MIT scientists. Follow the science, folks. Vaccines to block COVID-19 that are in development by Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and others, and that are currently in Phase three clinical trials may not do as well covering people of black or Asian genetic ancestry as they do for white people, a study released Wednesday by the, by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology indicated. So it's entirely possible that the disparity in outcome and mortality rates have nothing to do with quality of treatment, but with genetic predisposition, something to think about. But you're not going to hear this in the news. 
everyone should get the same kind of treatment, irrespective of race or irrespective of anything else. But here we have a situation where scientists doing studies are saying, you know something, for whatever reason, there's a genetic issue here. People of black or Asian uh, heredity aren't doing as well with the vaccine in terms of being protected. Something to think about. And then you look at the craziness of the elections, and we really got to follow this, and I'll tell you why. Because we live in a republic, we don't vote directly, we depend on the politicians to vote for us. The only control that we have over the politicians is our ability to vote them out of office. We can't vote them out of office if they fix the elections, which means they can operate with impunity. And if that doesn't get your motor running, I don't know what does. Final thing I want to mention, because this is just insane. Um, On November 30th, it was around the time of Black Friday, I subscribed to Live Science. It's a good website. It's free. They have lots of interesting articles. If you're into science, you have kids who are into science, check out Live Science, L-I-V-E, Live Science. So they announced that there was a pandemic board game that was 44% off on Cyber Monday. A board game from China about the COVID pandemic that came from China. You know, there is a Yiddish expression called chutzpah. It's a a Yiddish term. Uh, And we've always used the classic example of chutzpah as the kid that kills both parents and then goes before the court and pleads mercy because he's an orphan. Of course, he killed the parents. That takes chutzpah. China beat that kid by a country mile. It's because of China that the virus has spread across the world, killed how many hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people, sickened how many others, destroyed businesses and economies, uh, caused homelessness and great suffering around the world. And now China is marketing board games, board games about the pandemic. You really cannot make this madness up. Uh, At some point, you have to scratch your head and say, what in the world is happening here? Are we really that stupid? Are we really that crazy? I want to know what kind of a buffoon would give money to China to buy a pandemic board game. Wow, it takes my breath away. We bear a big responsibility to ourselves, to our children, and to their children to become involved in politics. We must have conversations with our neighbors. We must get these politicians to be accountable to us. Um, Look, I hope the Republicans are successful. I'm not going to make any bones about it. I hope that they're successful um, in in, in their efforts to um, try to bring this up. Hang on one second, please. Uh, You know, I I really hope that we're successful in in our efforts to – I'm just trying to get my – having a glitch here with my computer. Sometimes I really hate my computer, you know that? Um, Anyway, I don't know why this isn't working. Um, We have to be really cognizant of our responsibility to speak openly with our neighbors. We've got to get them to understand precisely what's going on. Make them understand that they can make a big difference. We've got to reach out to these politicians. I don't care if it's Mike Lee or any other member of Congress, any other member of the House of Representatives. They should be looking out for Americans. You're not looking out for Americans if you're bringing in workers to compete with Americans who are desperate for those jobs. This isn't in America's best interest. It's certainly not in the best interest of a fellow citizen. These are issues that all Americans should and could agree on. Please get involved. Please have those conversations, folks. Um, Freedom of speech is so darn important. With all the pressure being brought to bear to try to intimidate us into keeping quiet, we must not be quiet. Uh, Think of what happened after Pearl Harbor, December 7th, coming up on Monday. Um, Let's live up to our obligation because democracy is not a spectator sport. Please check out Front Page Magazine, my newest article about Alejandro Mayorkas, Potentially, the incoming head of DHS will be the focus of my article at frontpagemag.com. Go to Team DML News, dmlnews.com, where I do podcasts. And I hope you have a great weekend. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Stay safe. Be well, everybody.